praise offering this morning. Lord, you're worthy. Yes, Lord Jesus. Worthy of all of my praise, worthy of all of my breath, Lord. Oh, great creator of heavens and earth, Lord. Your creation gives back praise right now. Lord, you're worthy of all of it, Lord. Highest praise we give you. Lift up hands, we lift up our voices, we play our music, Lord. This is the least we can do, Lord, to somehow praise a God that's so great. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your ever-living presence. It is the lifeline of this church, Lord. It is the lifeline of our lives, Lord. We just want to make you feel welcome here. Lord, may you just take a seat, Lord, amongst us, Father. Lord, may you move through every aisle, through every row, Lord Jesus, I pray. Take complete preeminence now, we ask it, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church says, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Amen for all of that good singing. My goodness. I felt like that church was, this church was about to come apart when that choir was singing. I just thought, I'll just walk straight up to the pulpit right now. (laughs) Oh boy, that was awesome. That was awesome. I just love to hear the worship and praise that comes from not just a, not just a talent, but from the heart. Amen. I believe that's the kind of praise that God inhabits. Amen. God bless you. It's certainly a great privilege to be here with you. Just such an honor. Uh, it's been here the last few days. We've been here uh, with Brother Tim, your pastor, who I love so much and have so much respect for. He's had such a, a great impact in the life of my family. And uh, even back home, I bring greetings from my dad and my mom and the church there in Buford. And I just want to say how much we appreciate and love you all. Amen. And, and I just know that the Lord has something special for us this morning. Amen. I believe that there's something even in this building right now, this room right now, that's a presence that you feel that's not from this world. It's from another dimension. Brother Brandon said, when you begin to feel that spirit move and you think, oh my, I just, it feels like I want to cry. And others would say, I feels like I want to shout. And I don't really know why. Brother Branham said, it's because you're bumping into that other dimension. You know, I want to bump into that dimension. I'm sick and tired of this world and all its anxiety and stress and worry and fear that's gripping the world. I want to bump into another dimension and say, Lord, would you call me up higher this morning? Let me look beyond the natural. Let me look to the supernatural God. Amen. Well, God bless you. We want to turn to our scriptures here. Joshua chapter 4, if you have your Bible. Thank you again, Brother Tim, for having us, inviting us. It's uh, certainly just a privilege to be here. Joshua chapter 4. Well, I didn't, I forgot my Bible, and I got a new briefcase, so I asked for a Bible, and Brother Tim let me use his Bible. So if I get to where I just can't close it and I just got to keep preaching, then y'all just got to have grace on me. (laughs) Go a little bit long today. We just got one service, so. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Joshua chapter 4. I want to begin reading here at the first verse, and I'm going to minister to you on a title, Anointed by the Supernatural. Joshua chapter 4, and we'll just begin reading at the first verse. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe of man. And command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm. 
Now that's important. It wasn't just any stone. It wasn't just any place. But he said there's going to be a specific stone because these stones are going to represent something down the road. Now, I've, I've just give me grace here this morning. I've ministered this in three or four different parts, but we just have one service. But, and I just want to, Brother Tim told me to take my liberty, so I don't, I don't really want to have to lay a big foundation, and then I'm just going to jump right in. So will you just jump right in with me? Amen. Let's, let's go together. Amen. Let the Holy Spirit lead us. Notice he says, take the priest where the priest's feet stood firm. This was a certain position, what they stood on, what they stood for, what they believed. And he says, take these 12 stones where the priest's feet stood firm. And he says, 12 stones, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. Joshua said unto them, pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, what do these stones mean? So God was going to provision something now for something that would come later. And what was, our, what was our scripture? That in the days that, that I'll send you Elijah the prophet. And he shall turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And so what was going, these stones going to represent? A generation of children who would begin to ask, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them, verse 7, that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And Joshua, verse 9, set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feast of, feet of the priests which bore the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. Notice here, for the, for the priest which bore the ark stood in the midst of Jordan until... Everything was finished. That the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the people according to all that Moses commanded Joshua and the people hasted and passed over. One more scripture, 2 Kings, before you're seated. 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2, and we'll just begin reading here at the first verse. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elisha said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Verse 4, And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. Notice, Elisha stays with Elijah. Amen. Verse 6, Elijah said unto him, Terry, I pray, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. Verse 8, Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. Here's, here they are at Jordan also smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. It came to pass, when they were going over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee. 
In other words, whatever you ask now, Elisha, it'll be done. In other words, Sister Hattie, whatever you say. In other words, whatever you say right now, and God will grant it to you. Do you know, Brother Branham said that when Hattie spoke those words, it moved all of heaven. You know why? Because she spoke. She didn't just think it. She used her voice. You see, words have the ability to disturb the atmosphere that's around you. And when a word speaks, not a thought, but when that thought's expressed through a word, that atmosphere is disturbed around you and it changes the circumstances. Listen to me, somebody. You might be surrounded by doubt and by fear and all hell is coming against you. Speak the word of God. It'll change the atmosphere around you. You think God doesn't care about what your voice speaks? When you say amen to the word of God, what are you doing? You're, you're denying that doubt around you and you're creating the atmosphere of faith where all things are possible. I believe that kind of anointing's in this room right now. Brother Brandon says when she spoke those words, it felt like the room was about to come apart. And God's, Brother Brandon says God told her, tell her whatever she asks for right now, it'll be done. Elijah says to Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, unto, said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Verse 10. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am, notice this, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. In other words, Elijah saying to Elisha, when you see me, when I'm gone, if you see me, Elisha, as gone from you. In other words, your perspective, Elisha, has to realize you can't stand here when I leave and say, oh, I just need Elijah. Where's Elijah? If Elijah would just come back. Elisha's got to see Elijah as taken from him, but there's still a work to do. There's still a commission to take place. There's still a work to do for Elisha. Elisha, you've got to see Elijah that he's gone from you. And the Bible says, if you see me when I'm gone, he says, it'll be so. If you see me as I'm gone, as you transliterate that, that's what it means here. And he says here in verse 11, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked and behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariot and horse Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into two pieces. And he took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, not where's Elijah, but where's the Lord God of Elijah. Lord Jesus, we just bow our heads here today, Lord, as one group of people in unison, Lord, in one mind and one accord. Father, we come from different places of the world. Lord, live in different states, maybe separated some visitors here even today. But at this moment, Lord, we're all one family, all up to your table right now of one spirit, of one mind and one accord, Lord. And we ask you now, I raise my hands, Lord, as some maybe would raise their hands by a special need and just say, Lord, I have a special request and I'm going to raise it up before you. I'm going to represent it by a hand and I'm going to say, Lord, my expectation is you're going to meet me in this service today. May you grant it now, Lord Jesus, we ask to every life, every individual we pray 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Elijah's going to go home, and God's going to call him. He's coming to the end of his ministry. He's at the very last stages, and Elijah knows that very well. He knows that his days, he's about to go home, and he takes Elijah through this, Elisha through these cities. This was specific. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, just accidental or random places that Elijah was going to take Elisha. But he takes him to very specific cities, and he takes him to Jericho, and he takes him to Bethel. What you're reading here in 2 Kings is some of the last words of the, of the prophet Elijah. This is some of the last moments that Elijah is going to have on earth in this dimension. And he's beginning, to, he's beginning to have a burden come upon his heart. You know, you can read the last words of, of powerful men and men throughout the Bible. You read the last words of Elisha later on in his life. You can read the last words of David. You could read the last words of Jacob and the last words of Joseph and the last things that Jacob is saying to Joseph is don't leave my bones here in in Egypt but take them to Canaan to the promised land and then Joseph says those same words but what you're reading here is the last desires as we could say this is the last moments that he's going to be alive and he and he wants to make sure that he he transfers something there there comes there, there there's a moment where there's a baton that is going to be passed. There's going to be a, a dispensational change that the work, the prophet's leaving, but the work is far from over. The prophet's going home, but the work is far from complete. And there's many things that still must be accomplished. And Elijah, no doubt, knowing the burden, you know, of this, the weight of this entire thing, he's bringing Elisha to these specific cities. You can imagine just the awestruck wonder that a man like Elisha would have as he follows Elijah through his ministry and was there for some of the miraculous things and some of the powerful things and moments of his life that were so special uh, to his ministry. Just highlights. You can imagine what this must have been like for Elisha. And Elisha had watched as he followed this man, Elijah, and seen the supernatural God and he's seen the way that the Lord had used him. And, and he knew that there was something special about this mantle that Elijah had. Now, Elisha was not going to replace Elijah in the sense that he was going to do exactly what Elijah did. He wasn't going to go over and, and do the same exact miracles that Elisha was going to do. Though he would have great miracles in his life. He wasn't going to fulfill uh, what Elijah had to fulfill. But there was a portion of Elisha's ministry that he had to fulfill for himself. And he knew that there was something about that mantle that Elijah, you can watch him as Elijah tells him and says, you know, tarry here, Elisha. You know, why don't you come to Jericho and I want you just to, you know, build a home here. Tarry here and you'd make a good pastor to these people. And, you know, build your house and have your children here and, you know, just plant yourself here. But Elisha knew as long as Elijah was there and there was an anointing upon his life, I'm staying right beside Elijah. Because there's nothing else in the world. There's nothing else that can match it. There's nothing else that's as the, that, that meets the challenge of the hour that I live in. Elisha had caught a revelation that Elijah was a specific gift and a specific anointing that no other man had. And so he tells him, take him to these. He says, come to these cities of Jericho and 
You know, this city of Jericho and Bethel, these are two important, crucial cities. If you study the Bible, you'll find that Jericho and Bethel are both profound cities that God does many miraculous things through. You can find the city of Bethel and Jacob is there and he has a dream and a ladder's going from heaven to earth and there's angels ascending and descending and Jacob wakes up from the dream and he says, oh, surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. And, and he's seen that there was an activity of God that's happening all all the time that never stops that angels are always descending and descending upon your half behalf and and J- Jacob makes these stones as a memorial and he he just wants to some way memorialize this this spot and he anoints it with oil and and he pours the oil upon the stones and he calls the name of that place Bethel and God had done many ma- miraculous things throughout that city even Jericho we know the stories of Jericho and Joshua and some of the powerful moments and miraculous that takes place. Even in Elijah's ministry, these were moments of great revival. These were cities that were on fire. These were cities that really just were on fire for the, for the fire, for the power of God. Oh, but how different they were from the beginning of Elijah's ministry to the end of his ministry. And now these cities of Bethel and Jericho are not on fire. They're not in revival. They're actually very much backslidden in so much that they're even in one place, Jericho's mocking the prophet of God. There was such a generation that was so much worse than what Elijah had experienced in his early days of his ministry. Oh, when his ministry was first beginning, my masses came and everybody just packed the stadiums to see him and they wanted him at their church and their pulpit and to see the miraculous happen. But oh, how amazing it changes when, when Elijah comes to his actual ministry. And now Brother Branham comes to Tucson and he says, I didn't want to start a church here. I came here and I came in the desert. I didn't, I didn't want to start it on my own. I didn't want to break any fellowship. I didn't want to break anything up. But I sat here in the desert for three years and you never had me preach. You never invited me to your pulpits and you, you never had me. I, this wasn't my desire to start an assembly. But what happens, doors begin to close at the latter part of his ministry. And what was once widely rejected is now, what was once widely accepted is now rejected by the masses. And so much that Jesus, even in his own ministry, would have the same type of rejection and would say to the, to the, to the crowds that followed him, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you'll have no part with him. And they said, this is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. Let me tell you something, friends. To the world, if you're not a believer ordained from the foundation of the world, the message is a hard thing. It's a hard thing for the intellectual mind. But if you're anointed by the power of God and you're a seed of God, it's not a hard thing. It's the joy of our life. It's the joy of my, of my salvation. It's the passion of my life. It's all I have. It's all I live for. It's all that I desire, as David said. My, your word is my daily portion. But the doors had begin to close in his life and he comes to the end there. And even Brother Green, when he starts a tabernacle, he leaves Beaumont, Texas. And he leaves there as a district presbyter or something there, a superintendent. And he starts the Tucson Tabernacle. You know, it was so amazing just hearing a testimony the other day. And Brother Green said, the reason I started a church in Tucson was I wanted an assembly or a building, a group of people where I could say the name William Branham and it wouldn't offend anybody. 
Now you imagine the vision of that day and now we have churches. I am so glad we have bodies of believer, all, bodies of believers all across the world and we could say the name William Branham. We could preach the message of Malachi 4. Not only does it not offend us, Brother Tim, but it excites the very core of our being. It's our revival. You're attracted to it. You're magnetized to it. It's who you are. It's your identity. So Elijah brings him to the very last stages of his life. Here's the last few moments, and he's coming down to the last few things that he's going to say, some of the last things that he's going to mention to Elijah. And he comes to this place, and, he, and, and Elijah, you can see here that there's an anointing that must be passed on. I almost titled this sermon this morning, The Transfer of Anointing. Or the transfer of the expectation. That there must come a transfer of the anointing of the expectation or the inheritance that was upon Elijah must come upon Elisha. He cannot live just on the God of the past or the the stories of yesterday. That won't sustain him. That won't meet the challenges. In fact, not only does Elisha need to come under the same anointing that Elijah had, but he actually needs twice what Elijah had. Because now there's a generation of people that's much more dark and twisted in their mind. There's an atmosphere that's much worse than Elijah's generation. And let me just stop here for a moment and preach to you and tell you, you don't just need, you say, Brother Matter, do we need the expectation and the anointing and the living God that we see in God's prophet? No, friends, you need double the expectation. You need twice the zeal. You need twice the fervor. Oh, I just say, give me a church, Lord. Give me a desire that I say, give me double. Double the power. Give me double the energy. Give me double the zeal, Lord Jesus. This is not a generation of getting cold or going backwards. But I say give me an anointing. It's a double portion of what you have. He knows that there's something about this mantle. He knows that there's nothing, you know, within the mantle, there's nothing necessarily special about the fabric or the stitching or the kind of materials that they used. It was not in the, the was, wasn't in any kind of the fabric. There was nothing special. You know, listen, all those things were good. The stories are good. You know, I love the stories, the hunting stories, the fishing stories, even the stories of, of squirrels being spoken into existence. And I, I love all of those things. But listen, there was nothing in particularly special about the mantle itself. But it was drenched with a promise. It was saturated with an anointing. It was saturated with an expectation. It was anointed with a faith that didn't come from Elijah, but it came from Jehovah. So Elijah, it wasn't Elijah's message. Elijah was just the messenger. It wasn't, Brother Branham said, it wasn't me who appeared there on the Ohio River. I was just standing there when he appeared. So it wasn't anything special about the mantle itself, but it was the anointing or the expectation or the promise or the, or the, or or the scripture you could say, or the commission that was drenching the mantle. And listen to me, friends, when Jeremiah had a message from God, it wasn't Jeremiah's message. It wasn't Micah's message. This wasn't their message. They were simply the messenger. And so when you rejected Jeremiah, you weren't rejecting Jeremiah. When you turned your back on Brother Branham, you're not rejecting Brother Branham. You were rejecting Jehovah. 
Because this was a thought not from Brother Branham. It was from the throne room of God coming down to a prophet that would need to be transferred to a people. Are you with me here this morning? And so he, he, he would say, that, come to this place. And, and you, could, you could see these are the last words. Even Brother Branham comes to what house will you build me? And he's there in November of 1965. Some of the last things you can uh, hear about even over the last few months. Uh, just been scouring, going through the message. And, and you want to see, what, wanting to see what was on Brother Branham's heart. What was his fervent desire? What was he really looking for? What was his expectation? What was it that he was reaching for? What was it that he was wanting to see? And he comes to that message, what house will you build me? And he begins to say, oh, friends, if you feel like I do, he says, I'm so hungry to see the power of God and spirit of God moving. I can just hardly stand it. And he says, all the experiences I had when I was first saved, what is it here? He's after the seals, after the, after the trumpets, after he understands uh, the trumpets and the true meaning of the revelation of the seven seals, after the mighty God unveiled, after 1960, after 1963, after 1964, yet there's something hungering down on the inside of Brother Branham. Oh, I say, I, I, I resonate so much with that quote. And I say, oh God, I've served you for this long. Here we are in 2023. But let me just say, I am so hungry to see the power of God and the spirit of God. I'm so hungry to see the God of the Bible come and make himself manifest in my life, in my children, in my marriage, in my church, in my home. I say, God, I'm so hungry. I can just hardly stand it. He comes to this very last spot and he says, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken from thee. And without hesitation, Elisha answers, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he says, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me, notice it wasn't hard for God. It wasn't hard for Elijah. It was only hard for Elisha. Because thou hast chosen the harder way. It was a way of thy own choosing. Listen, this was his choice. And we preached on it last night. It's got to be your choice. And notice he comes to this place and here's this expectation you could say. And here's this, here's this expectation upon the heart of, he, of, 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 of Elisha. And this, this, this transfer of anointing has got to come to him. It's got to become more than just Elijah's message. It's got to become Elisha's message. It's got to become more than just Elijah's mantle. It's got to become Elisha's mantle. And that same faith and that same expectation would need to be transferred. Notice this is exactly the same Jordan River that you find just years before that. And here's, Mo, here's Joshua crossing over the Jordan. We read about it in, in Joshua chapter 4. And Joshua chapter 4, he's saying, take up the stones. Here they're going to cross Jordan. And he says, I want you to take a place. The priests are going to come into Jordan. And they're going to represent something to the rest of the people. Now, Brother Branham says Jordan types death, it types sin. You could say it types the ultimate death and the change of our bodies when death is swallowed up in victory. And so they're, they're representing something here as they cross over into Jordan. And God tells Joshua, I want the priest to come into the water. And he says, and when the, when the soles of the priest's feet touch Jordan, Jordan will part. Now, notice it's not before this. It's not when they expect it, not when God even says it, but until they take their foot and they put their foot in death or they put their foot in what the rest of everybody else, listen to me, 
they were doing something that not the rest of everybody would have to do, but it was their commission. It was their place. It was how God ordained them. It was their calling, or you could say their anointing upon their life was to take their foot and put it in Jordan for the rest of the people. And God says, I want these priests to go into the Jordan. And he says, when the souls of the Jordan, when the souls of the priests, so they would put their foot in. You imagine. Now listen, they didn't have to. This, 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 is, this is not made up by their mind. It's not, they didn't think of it of themselves, but this is God's order. And God says, I want them to take their foot and I want them to place it in the Jordan. And then Jordan moves back. They take another step. Here's the water's parting. Here's another priest, and he puts his foot in the water, and then waters Jordan, just parts just a little bit. I want to show you, and I really hope this is okay to do. Come here. I need the ministry team to come here just for a moment. I want you to stand where you're at, Brother Tim, and Timothy, face him. And Brother Aaron, I want you to face Brother Joe. I want almost like we do a prayer line here, just face this way here, right in front of him, right in front of him. I want you to notice. Come here, Brother Joe. Stand right beside Brother Tim, Brother Aaron. I want you to notice here, this is the order that God sets for the Israelites to cross over into Canaan. Face Brother Aaron here, Brother Joe. And God says, I want the priests to stand in the water. I want them because when the priests step into the water, Jordan's going to part. And how are the people going to get over onto dry land? Because priests are standing in their commission, in their calling. They're placing their feet in the Jordan on behalf of the rest of the body. Listen to me, these ministers and these God-called men that God's put in your life will have to go through things that you may never experience. You have no idea. Some of the mind battles, some of the troubles, some of the struggles, some of the voices that try to speak to their mind. But this is a place and a position when God ordains a man to stand in the Jordan. It's for the protection. It's for the anointing. It's for the deliverance. It's for the victory for the people. Hallelujah. And God says, take your families. Now that Jordan is parted, there's a highway going through Jordan. And so families begin to go through. And families take their little ones and they take the husband and the father. And they move past the Jordan and they go onto dry land. You say, why do they cross on dry land? Because there's a priest who's got his foot in the water. He's standing in the gap for the rest of the congregation. And I just want to represent her for a moment. Do you realize what would happen if preachers stopped preaching? Do you realize what would happen if these preachers took their foot out of the Jordan? Sin would cover our churches. It would flood our pulpits. Listen to me, friends. If preachers really did put down their notes and close their iPads and their laptops and stop studying the word of God, sin would flood our churches. It would flood our homes. You want to thank God this morning that you've got a ministry that'll keep their foot in the water? I say, brother, stay in the water. Stay in Jordan. Stay in your commission. Stay in your anointing. It'll get us home someday. Hallelujah. Stay under the anointing. Stay under the preaching of the word of God. I'm just going to stay here and state my claim and say, I'm not taking my foot out of Jordan. I don't care what others say. I don't care others who are compromising. I'm going to keep my feet planted in the Jordan River. You say, how long, Brother Matt? Until it's finished. Until the work is finished. God bless you, brothers. Why don't you give them a hand this morning? Say, thank God for a ministry. Hallelujah. 
Oh, do we have a church that'll say, preach it to me, pastor. Preach me the word of God. Don't compromise for anybody. Don't compromise for any spirit. Preach me the full gospel. I say thank God for a ministry that'll preach it. Bare knuckled, straight truth and not compromise. They'll tell me regardless if it hurts my feelings, the truth of the word. Now notice this is going to be important because he says, I want you to take the stone. His foot was here. Joshua, take the stone that he stood upon. Not just any stone, but that left Manasseh. And here's all the tribes are represented, each man a tribe. And here's Reuben and here's his foot. And the priest, the priest who's representing that tribe, he says his, his right foot was here. So they take a stone. His left foot was here. And they take a stone. No, no, I think it was right. It wasn't over here. It was right there. And he takes that stone and he places that stone. And what is it? It's going to be a memorial. Say, why is that important, Brother Matt? Why couldn't it just be any stone? Why couldn't it just be anything? Why couldn't it just be any old doctrine, any old thing that's preached? No, friends. These were going to be the original faith of what the priest stood upon, of what they believed, of what they preached, of what they lived. Because Brother Branham said it would be these divinely revealed truths that will literally turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the Pentecostal fathers, back to 8033, back to the supernatural, back to the expectation, back to victory. It'll be these stones that represent something. There's going to be a certain promise. There's going to be an anointing and nothing else will turn your hearts back. No other ministry will turn your heart back. Listen to me, friends. No other ministry had the ministry of Elijah because he was anointed with a message to turn your hearts back. And you couldn't get it anywhere else. Elisha knew that I'm not going to leave. I'm tearing right by your side. You couldn't get it. There was good preachers, good doctors of divinity, great meetings, good things that were happening. But there was only one Elijah ministry. Let me just stop here and say, there's only one group of people who can receive that Elijah message. That's a special group, a peculiar group, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Do you realize you've been ordained to receive the anointing of the message of Malachi 4? You say, Brother Matt, what does that mean? That means our churches and our people are drenched with the promise of oil. They're drenched with the promise. You say, what promise? Of victory, of overcoming, of power, of healthy bodies, of healthy churches. Come on, help me preach somebody. You're anointed this morning. You've got an anointing upon your life. You've been anointed to believe the word of God. That's why you pull on the word of God. It isn't a workup. It isn't just because we're shouting up here. You're anointed to believe it. That's why when a preacher preaches, I'm not up here preaching anything new to you. I'm not up here giving you some kind of new revelation. I'm only stirring what's already down on the inside of you. And when you hear it, you identify and you say, yes, brother, that's me. I identify with that message. That's my message. That's my anointing. That's my promise. Elisha, you must come under the anointing. You must come under the expectation. It's got to be, it's got to leave Elijah's lips. It's got to leave Elijah's lips. 
and it's got to come upon your lips. That's why Brother Brandon said the word of God on the lips of believers. He said it's never failed on the mouths of his believing family. Why? It's the promise of Jesus that's been transferred off of this Bible down into the faith of your heart and you accept it and you believe it and then it becomes your reality. You know, this is what an anointing was. An anointing is the charismatic would use that word in the cliche and there's a very, very great truth to it but it's almost just become an anointing. It's just an anointing. And they, they're all of there, they don't know really. Now you say, Brother Matt, is it a true anointing? Well, Brother Branham said that it certainly was. But you know, what a, you know what a real anointing was? In the Bible, and I won't try to pronounce this word, but an anointing, it, it was to smear. We spoke on this last night. It was to smear or to rub with oil. You would take a king who was going to be anointed to be king, and they would take oil, and they'd pour it on him, and they'd anoint his life. What were they doing? They were commissioning him for a purpose. He was going to serve a very special purpose. He was going to serve a very special commission. They would anoint men like this and they were anointing them or consecrating that office for service. In Bible times, people were anointed with oil to signify God's blessing or the call upon that person's life. In Exodus and 2 Kings and Ecclesiastes, they were anointed for a special purpose or a special mission or a special job with special specific instructions. And so Elijah, you can even see this here as David prays. And I think it's Psalms 133 and you could read about it. And David says, oh, how precious it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that flowed from Aaron's head down to his beard, all the way down to the collar of his shirt, down to the Urim and Thummim, all the way down to the ground. This is what the oil of anointing was to do. You say, why, Brother Matt? Because in that high priest or the, the, the high priest who would go on the day of Yom Kippur and he would enter in with that tablet and he would take that Urim and Thummim and in that Urim was not just pretty stones. Here was the topaz and the carbuncle and the barrel and the onyx and the sardis and all of these. These weren't just fancy stones or beautiful stones, but the stones were representing a tribe. And within that tribe represented a family. And within that family was a dad and a mom and children and needs and prayer requests and issues and problems and diseases, both in the body and in the mind. And so Yom Kippur, Aaron, that high priest, would take that tablet and that tablet when he would go into the holiest of holies on the day of atonement, And what was he doing? He was representing all of the people. He was representing all of the families. He was representing all of the issues. He was representing all of the prayer requests. Everything that they had as as an expectation or a need in their life. And that oil would flow. It would move. Oh, I hope you catch it here this morning. It would flow from the head. Not just it wasn't an oil that was just kind of going to come upon the high priest. But that oil would flow into the tablet. It would flow over all the families. What was it representing? That that oil had to go from the high priest. It had to go from the preacher down into the people's lives. 
that you would come under the same anointing and the same power to serve the same God with the same promise for your life. I say today you're anointed. It's not just ministry. Uh, The ministry has an anointing, but you've got an anointing in your life as a believer to take the word of God and conquer the devil in your family and in your home. You've been commissioned and anointed by the anointing oil. Can we go a little further this morning? You love the Lord. That oil was going to represent something. It was going to transfer something. You notice here even Brother Branham begins to talk about this in the message, Why Christ Speak. And notice Brother Branham says here, he says, may the Holy Spirit, we paraphrased this last night, may the Holy Spirit teach us today the things that we ought to know. And may we then in return listen closely to every word May we listen closely to every word. May we weigh it deeply and then may those who are listening by the way of tape, may they listen close. And may we be able to catch what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to us. Let me just make you aware the Holy Spirit is always trying to reveal himself to you personally. I say, oh God, don't let me miss it this morning. Oh God, let me pay attention and listen up close. How many with me would say, Lord, if you're trying to speak, let me hear it in my heart, Lord Jesus. Let me not miss it. How many times would Brother Branham say that in his sermons? Don't miss it. Come to a sister from a prayer line. Sister, don't miss it. Come to a sermon. Don't miss it. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit's trying to reveal. For we realize if he should anoint us, then the anointing is not in vain. It's for a purpose. And it might work to the good to the Lord. And may our hearts and understanding be open, Lord. He knows how to do these things and how to deal with man. He knows what's in man. He knows what. You say, how does he know? Because he's the one who put it there. You didn't. He knows what's inside of you. He says he knows. We don't. We only know from the intellectual side. He knows what's really in the man. And he knows. Listen to what Brother Benham says. He knows. He says Moses was born in this world and a gifted boy. He was born to be a prophet, a deliverer. He was born, born, born with the equipment born inside of him. Born already. Before you ever breathed your first breath, God knew every trial you'd go through. God knew every circumstance that you would face in your life. Listen to me. You might have thought, oh, that's just misfortune. It just happened to me. Listen, God has ordained the footsteps of your life before you were ever born. He knew every trial. He knew every sorrow. He knew every heartache. He knew everything you'd have to go through as his son or his daughter. And he's equipped you for the job. Oh, I just feel the Holy Spirit. That's for somebody here this morning. You're already equipped for the job. It's already down inside of you. Stop looking for your answer somewhere else or somewhere down the street. It's already inside the seed of God. All you got to do is believe it. All you got to do is confess it. It's already there. Brother Brandon would go so far as to say, everything you have need of for this life's journey, even the rapture. 
It's already inside the seed of God that he placed before the foundation of the world. You say, Brother Matt, why does that make you excited? That means if I didn't have anything to do with it to start, then I can't have anything to do with it to stop it. If I didn't start it, I can't stop it. It's unstoppable. It's the unstoppable power of God. And nothing I can do will change that. No height, no death, no sorrow, no sickness, no death. Oh, can somebody accept that this morning and say, Satan, you can't stop it. All hell can't stop it. All the powers of darkness can't stop it. I'm anointed with a prop. I'm anointed with an equipment that was already inside of me. You say, I don't know how to raise those kids. I don't know how to be a mom. I don't know how to be a dad. It's already inside of you. The equipment's already there. Listen, none of us could give our kids the Holy Ghost. None of us. If I had a big red button that you could come up and push and it would give your kids the Holy Ghost, I guarantee you we'd have a stampede in Evening Light Tabernacle. You'd have moms and dads jumping over the pews and getting to that button. If you could give them the Holy Ghost, I promise you would. How many moms would say amen to that? I'd give them a too much. You know what? God didn't give you that ability. God didn't give you that place. He didn't commission you that way. You say, then what can I do, Brother Matt? What weapons do I have? Preach it to them. Tell it to them. Teach it to them. Bring them to church. Bring them in the right atmosphere. Sow the word of God in their hearts. The seed's already there. All it needs is the right atmosphere. All it needs is for that light to strike across it. Listen, mom and dad, you can't give it to them, but you can preach it to them. You can live it before them. You can talk it to them. You can show them. You can bring them to the house of God. And then put your faith in a promise that when the anointed word of God flashes across that seed, all hell can't stop it from coming forth. He'll say, Lazarus, come forth. And I don't care how dead they are. I don't care how distant they are. I don't care if they're not in this service today. All hell can't stop it, mom. All hell can't stop it, dad. Hallelujah. The word of God on the mouths of believing Christians has never failed. I say confess it today. Speak it today. Why did Hattie Wright ask for her children? Why did Hattie ask for her children? So you, mom, could ask for your child so that you would have faith to transfer that promise from a little humble woman down into your family, into your home. You sit by the mouth, but they're not even here today. They're not even serving the Lord. You don't know how distant, you don't know how far, you don't know what they've said, you don't know what they've done, you don't know the circumstances, you don't know the past. You know what Brother Branham said? He said, if you're sick this morning and you're in a sick body, he said, what you do is you imagine a well body and you start walking towards it. I say today, if your children are not here, you imagine them at this altar. You imagine them with hands raised. You imagine them shouting and start walking towards your promise. Start walking towards your victory. Say, God, it's my inheritance. This is my promise, Lord. I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna give up. Let me just tell you what the Holy Spirit told me in that office. And I'm going to believe it because I've said it when I preached this sermon and the Holy Spirit came to me and spoke to me and said, tell somebody in this church today, don't give up on your promise. 
Now you accept that as from the Lord. Don't give up on your promise. I don't care how many years it's been. I don't care how many months it's been. And don't let the devil reinterpret it and say, it'll be different. It's not going to be that way. God said, I'll do it. I'll perform it. Just the way I spoke it. I'm going to do it exactly like I told you, Sarah. I'm going to do it exactly like I told you. I'm going to perform it. You're anointed to believe it. Do you realize this is why Brother Brandon would speak to a storm? So that you'd speak to your storm. This is why he would have, he would have a little woman and say, yeah, what do you want? Anything you say right now. And she said, the salvation of my boys. Why? So that I could have faith for my children. I say, don't give up on your promise. He's born with the equipment already. As every man comes into the world is born with this equipment. Moses born and he was afterwards, he was brought to the place where he was anointed and noticed the seed lay in there with an intellectual conception with all the faith. The boy. He was born to deliver this people and yet it never came to life until that light from the burning bush flashed across it until he see not something he read about. Oh, I love this so much. Not something he just read about. Something he's seen with his eyes. Something that spoke to him. And he spoke back to it. Oh, I say, God, give our young people, give our families, give me that kind of experience. Something that he spoke to and something that spoke back. Oh, how that did bring, I think any man or woman or boy or girl, I think with an intellectual conception of what they think the word is and so forth, can never have a full foundation stand until they have met that light. Let me tell you, you can hang a picture of the pillar of fire and that's wonderful. But until you meet that light for yourself, until that light comes and anoints your life, I say, God, anoint my life. How many would pray that and say, Lord, anoint my life? Anoint my faith, Lord Jesus. He says here, notice, he says, now hundreds and hundreds of years before this, Israel would be mistreated, sojourn in strange country and would stay there 400 years, but God with a mighty hand would bring them out. So you see with this burning bush, just as we know. As a man asked me a few moments ago about the coming and the rapture. Now notice what he goes to. I want you to pay, pay attention closer. A man asked me about the coming and the rapture. We know. We've lived the time out. And the time of the rapture is at hand. What was Brother Branham looking for? What was the prophet of God looking for? What was Brother Branham seeking? He says, and we're looking for a rapturing faith that can pull the church together and give it some supernatural strength. To give it some supernatural strength. Strength. You know what that means in the Bible when it's at hand? Do you know what that means? The kingdom of God is at hand. It means it's within your reach. Well, I hope you catch it here this morning. That promise that's been coming a long time is now at hand. It's within your grasp. It's within your reach. 
Brother Matt says, what's he doing every day? He's reaching every day. He's looking. You say, Brother Matt, what are you doing every day of my life? I'm reaching to say, God, give me a supernatural strength. I'm reaching out, Lord, to touch you. I'm reaching. I'm looking. I'm expecting. Give it some supernatural strength. Supernatural. I'm preaching to you on anointed by the supernatural. Give it some supernatural strength. Strength that can change these bodies that we live in. Oh, my body just said, amen. My back pain just said, amen. Oh, my body. How many bodies could say, amen? I'm looking for some supernatural strength that can change these bodies one day. To give it some supernatural strength that can change these bodies we live in when we see a God that can raise the dead off the floor or out in the yard and bring him back to life again and present him before us when we see a God who can take a cancer that's ate a man to a shadow and raise him up to a strong, healthy man, that. Did you catch it? What ought to give you rapturing faith? Brother Brandon points to a man who is dead. Dead. And he's raised to life. He points to a man who has cancer and all hope is lost and all doctors have given up and there's no chance for him. And Brother Brandon points to these two examples and said, that ought to give us rapturing faith. What ought to give the church rapturing faith. What do you see here, Brother Matt? I see here that it's going to take something that's apart from me that has, listen, it's impossible. You say, Brother Matt, is it impossible? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I'm more convinced now, more than I've ever been in my life, the same power that heals your body is the same power that will sweep over your body one day. And it'll change you from the very atomic level. The same power to believe in divine healing and heal your body is the same power that'll sweep over our bodies one day and change it in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. It's got to be something. If the faith that saved me was nothing I can do of myself, it'll have to be the same faith that changes my body. He says it's a man we see of cancer. And he's raised up. You know, we just experienced that back home in our little town. I know supernatural things are happening. Listen, not just here, not just there, but all around the world. You say, Brother Matt, why are these supernatural events taking place? Because the prophet of God said, when all hell turns loose, all heaven turns loose. Let me just preach for a moment. Listen to me. Satan is not unbold. He's as bold as he's ever been. He's right out in the open. He's right out there arrogantly bold and showing himself. And he doesn't hide it anymore. Doesn't hide it somewhere in a closet. It's right out in the open. I just have to believe that if the devil wants to manifest himself out in the open, I just happen to believe that all heaven has a desire to manifest itself all out in the open. That when all hell turns loose, all heaven lets go. I say, let go, heaven. I say, let go, angels. I say, pour it out, God. Pour it out upon me. Pour it upon my family. Pour it upon my children. Pour it upon my mind. Pour it upon my spirit, oh God. He's manifested himself. 
Say, Brother Matt, you believe it's going to get more and more? I already know it's more and more. And it ain't going to stop there. It's going to keep on going. It's going to keep on moving until this body changes. Until my mind, until my flesh, until my, all of my troubles are changed in a moment. They sing about it today. Oh, that anointing, he anoints me. My cup runneth over. You say, Brother Matt, what anointing? An anointing of rapturing faith. An anointing that can change your vile body. Back home, we had a man, a, a man in our church, uh, Brother Travis Jackson, who some of you might know, one of my closest friends the Lord's given me. Brother Travis has just an incredible testimony. We won't have time to tell this morning the testimony. You'd have to hear it. But uh, some of these brothers can testify. I mean, 13, 14 years ago, he came to the message. And boy, if he's, you say, Brother Matt, how's this fire? It was a fire then. It's an inferno now. Because he did, the Brother Travis has just got such a faith, just such a faith to believe in the word of God. Came and was searching for God his whole life. You know, from a, even from the time he was just a little boy, maybe 14 years old, started reading this Bible. Mom and dad, his dad was a pastor, a deacon at the Buford Baptist Church. His family was religious, lived in a good home. And, and Travis just began to seek the Lord. He begins to read the Bible and he, he goes to the New Testament. He reads through the Gospels and then he reads through the book of Acts and he reads all of Paul's letters and, and he's saying, this is, where's these people? He goes to, the, he goes to his pastor and, of a church there and he goes to the youth leader and he says, you know, you, you people are wonderful, lovely people. He says, but where's the God I read about in the Bible? Where's the, where's the performing of, where's the men who are filled with the Holy Ghost? Where are these men that are filled with the spirit of God like Peter, like Stephen? And he could say uh, with his eye, he, he being full of the Holy Ghost. Where's these men that are filled? And where's the miracles? Where's the wonders and signs that we see? Why don't we see? You people are good Christian. You know that youth leader? He'd go from church to church. Man, he'd go from church to church to church. To... He was a church hopper. <laughs> True bona fide church hopper. And he'd go to that youth pastor, that pastor, and he'd say, where's, and they'd always say, Travis said, they'd say the same exact thing every single time. It was like a parrot. Every single time they'd say, well, Brother Travis, those are wonderful things you read about in the Bible. But you see, the apostolic days are over. That doesn't happen anymore. And the days of miracles are over. Listen, this is exactly what they tried to tell Brother Brandon. Almost identical verbatim of what these men were saying. He goes to the mega church of our, of our uh, back home, big old non-denominational, massive mega church. And he goes to that pastor, gets a minute with him, tells him, what about men we read about in the Bible? What about Holy Ghost-filled men? Oh, Brother Travis. You know, those were all good days. And those, those, were, those were God was doing special things then. But he's spoken again at sundry times through, his, you know, through the prophets. But now he's spoken to us by his son. And, and you know, and, 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 and those days are over. Brother Travis, we don't really believe in those. You don't see those kind of things. Now it's just a faith that you believe and you just accept it. And, and you just confess it and repeat the, the sinner's prayer. And then, you, you know, and Travis said, that just didn't sit right with me. He said, I just I heard them, but then I'd read the Bible at home and say, something ain't right here. He goes to his parent, his mom's closet, to this day doesn't know how the book ever got there. He's flipping through the books there, and there's a book without a spine, doesn't have the spines broken on it, the pages are torn, the front cover's gone. But he turns to the first page, and it's the book, Acts of the Prophet. Just so happened to be in his closet. <laughs> doesn't know to this day, mom doesn't know, came, read that book. And he says, oh, here's a man. Here's a man of God. Here's the kind of man I read about in the Bible. 
Goes to his mom, says, Mom, where did that book come? I don't know. She takes it. She starts to read it. She's a secretary to plumbing business, and she's there reading it. And a man from our church comes there, and he sees it. He says, what? No, what are you reading there? Oh, just a book my son found. We don't know how, like, what? Does your son like that book? She says, oh, yeah. He, man, he loves this book. So that brother comes over. He brings him Owen Jorgensen. I don't know what book, but he brings the Supernatural Blue Books to him. And says, I want him to read this. And boy, Brother Travis starts reading through that book, you know, just reading all through it. And, and he doesn't, whatever he read was inconclusive of, as if Brother Brandon was still alive. So you know what Brother Travis starts doing? He starts asking everybody, hey, do you know a man named William Branham? <laughs> do you know a man named William Branham? You ever heard of a man named William Branham? He's driving into a, in a truck, his HVAC tech, and he's, He's driving with a, a man from our church who had divorced and backslid and his life was just went into chaos. He'd left the church and backslid and was just out of, out of the house of God, had been for years. We didn't even know. He just left suddenly and, and didn't know if he was even still in the Buford area. And Travis just so happens is riding with Dave. And they're riding down the road, you know, just in here, Dave in shorts and he's just a, just a world who looks like anybody else. Travis doesn't know if he's even a Christian. And he says, hey, Dave, have you ever heard of a man named William Branham? <laughs> Dave said every hair, he doesn't have many, but every hair on his head stood up. He said, uh, well, uh, uh, have I ever heard of William Branham? He said, well, uh, yeah. Travis said, you've heard of him. Finally, somebody, you've heard of this man? He said, yeah. He said, there's actually a church in Buford. He said, in Buford? I live in Buford. Where at in Buford? And he says, well, there's a little church there in Buford. He said, they believe in, you know, that this man was a seventh church age messenger. And Travis is thinking, seventh church age and what messenger? And what? He says, well, they believe he's a prophet. Travis said, well, definitely. I mean, that's obvious he was a prophet. <laughs> Pretty obvious. And he said, see the power of God? He says, my goodness. He said, this man, how do you know him? So that night we get a phone call. I get a phone call from Dave, who I haven't heard from in probably, I don't know how many years. Phone, Dave, oh my goodness, how are you doing? And he's nervous. He says, brother Matt, he says, listen, I'm, I'm in no place to, to witness. He said, I got a situation. He said, my life's all messed up. He said, I got I to gotta have help here. He said, there's a fella, just a worldly guy riding with me. And out of the blue, he just asked me, who's William Branham? Have you ever heard of William Branham? He said, I got to be honest, it's the last name I wanted to hear. He said, just my life, it brought such conviction on my life. He said, I'm not living where I should. He said, would you, is there any way you could meet Brother Travis? You know, I don't have a th- time to tell his whole testimony, but we go into his house that night and, and we go into Dave's house, not knowing who we was going to meet and walk into that little room. There I am with my brother, another brother from Edmonton. And he just happened to be visiting in town. And when I just told him, I said, this, this man just asked him who William Branham is. We're going to see what this is about. So we go in there, brother Travis, if he told his testimony and if he was standing here, he said that when he, he said, when the door opened and he said, and three men walked in, he said, a voice spoke and said, behold, men of the Lord, behold, men full of the Holy ghost. Travis said, I knew immediately this is what I was looking for my whole life. Little did Brother Travis know when I told him where our church was, it was about 400 yards away from his house he'd lived in in his whole life. He said, you mean what I've been searching for has been 400 yards from my house? Listen, friends, sometimes what you're looking for is right in front of you. Sometimes what you're searching for is right in front of you. You're looking for something way down the road, and it's right here. 
supernatural testimony. You get to hear more about how his mom and dad came into the message. That's believers now for years and years, solid, strong. Brother Travis never lost his faith. Cat tells everybody, you, ever, you ain't going to be around Travis for more than five minutes. I don't care who you are, and you're going to talk about the Lord. He calls me, and he says, Brother Matt, he actually texts our whole ministry team, and everybody was out of town except me. That day, I happened to be preaching that Sunday. He says, you, and, and maybe three months before this, I had met a man uh, there at an event who he introduced me to because Travis went from church to church, and the last church he went to before that event, he was going to an evangelical vineyard kind of church, a cool church kind of thing. And, uh, and so he's, he's there, and this man is an associate pastor uh, to Travis. Travis, one of the ones who was, you know, he was talking to. His name was Marcus Hunt. Humphrey. And he, and he introduces me to him. He says, Brother Matt, this is, the, this is the associate pastor of the church I attended. And he said, I want you to meet him. He's a wonderful guy, just a, you know, a real Christian guy. And then Travis really had a desire to witness to him. And so I go up and I meet this man. I mean, he's a strong, healthy guy, just, you know, uh, just real health conscious family. And, and he's, and he's and, you know, there and I meet him three months. He said, well, three months go down the road. And Travis calls. He says, you remember the man you met? I said, who? He said, Marcus. I said, the big, you know, tall guy. He said, yeah. He said, that's him. He said, Mary called me today, his wife. And, and she's crying. And he says, she's, he's been diagnosed with cancer, terminal cancer. And, and uh, they've, doctors have given up. He's tried chemo uh, eight times and hasn't took, it hasn't done nothing. They've sent him home to die. I said, my goodness. That, he said, yeah. He said, he's, they've given up on ho- all hope. He said, but I, would you go with me and would you lay hands for him and we'll pray for him? I said, absolutely, Brother Travis. I said, just so happened that was Saturday. Just so happened I was preaching the next day. Just so happened I had been studying the book, What Cancer Is. If you ever read that sermon called Healing, What Cancer Is. So I was already, man, a loaded gun. Had every bit of thing I wanted to say. And I'd been just scouring that book. I was going to preach on something entirely, you know, but I, that book was my main theme. I just read through it. I said, we're going to go there. So we go to this man's house in his living room. And, and I just begin to, as we walked into that room, you could see Marcus. And he, there, this was not the same man I had seen. I mean, he was just curled over and shriveled up, just real weak looking and, and hair was gone. And just, a, you know, real weak, had a tumor about the size of a grapefruit off of his neck. And he's sat sitting there and, and his family's there. And, and we, we knock on the door. She lets us in. We go up and, and we, I look at him and there's another family there. His trustee from his church. And, and, and they're a cancer survivor. son had passed away from cancer. She's an advocate for cancer research. And she's there. And there, the scene we walked in was just real, almost death. It was just real, real, real low and, and just didn't have much hope. And so I didn't really know how to, you know, what we were going to do. We sit there, we're waiting. And, and so Travis asked him, said, Marcus, what is it? You know, what have they said? He said, well, you know, Travis, they've, they've given up hope. He said, I just, I didn't want to die this way, but you know, it's appointed unto every man. And he's just resigned to the fact he's going to die. Tried chemo eight times. And, you know, he said, it's just, it's failed. He said, and you know, I just, uh, he said, I, I, I don't know. He said, I don't know what to do. He said, it's just, it's the, it's the end for me. You know, and, and Travis said, well, Marcus, he says, you know, I just want to, can I talk to you for a minute? He said, I just have some things I want to say upon my heart. And he said, I, he said, I just want to tell you, and we begin to, Travis begin to talk and he, and he says, I, you know, you're wonderful people and you're good people. And he says, but I just feel like since you've got a death sentence, he said, and you're going to die. He said, I just, I just don't figure there's any sense in mincing words. I'm just going to be real straight and tell you exactly, you know, how I feel. And he says, you know, Marcus, when I was at your church and he said, and I left your church, he said, I was seeking for something. 
He said, I was there looking for a real God who, who was the, he said, a God who was still alive, the God of the Bible that we read about. He said, I was looking for a men that were filled with the Holy Ghost. It never made sense to him how he'd go to the church and then in the deacons were outside smoking a cigarette and that night they'd have a social drink. He said, it just never made any sense to me. How, you know, these are Christian, supposed Christian men. He said, but I knew that there was something more, Marcus. And he said, and I want to tell you, I found that something more. And he said, I found a supernatural God who's still alive today, who still raises the dead. He still heals the sick. He still fills with the Holy Ghost. And he said, he's still got the power of God. He said, there's an apostolic power that's been restored through seven church ages and seven messengers. And, and he said, and I just want to tell you, God is not in your denomination. He's a, that's a dead God. He said, he's not in your trinity of gods. I'm thinking, my goodness. <laughs> he just laid it all on them. I didn't know what he was going to say. And I'm just going, whoa, he's not in your Trinity. That's a, that's a false doctrine. He's been revealed as a, you know, and, and Travis just starts to really lay it upon him. And I'm just wondering how he's going to take it. You know, and he's, he's been revealed and, and he's a real God and God can raise you from the dead. God can heal you from that cancer. I don't care how hopeless it is. And here's my friend, Matt. Why don't you talk with Matt? I said, well, and Travis said, Marcus, he said, I hope I didn't offend you. He said, I, Travis, if you knew him, he's this real sincere guy. He about to said, he said, Marcus, he said, I didn't, I, I didn't mean to, I hope nothing I said hurt you or hurt your feelings. I believe you're wonderful Christian people. But I just, and Marcus just bowed his head and I never forget. He said, no. He said, no, Travis. He said, in fact, when you knocked at the door and your friend knocked at the door, he said, a voice spoke and said, these are men sent from God hear what they have to say. He said, so I was prepared for anything you were going to say. I said, thank you, Jesus. You believe he's still that kind of God? He makes the way. Take no thought for what you'll say. Take no thought. Don't stress over it. Give God a chance. Give God an opportunity. And so I just begin to speak to him and I said, well, I said, let me just tell you, Marcus, and I just begin to go through all of these things Brother Branham teaches us and what cancer is. And I told him, I said, that life that's living on you, that's a demon spirit, Marcus. I said, that's a life that's living off of your life. The doctors have given it a name named cancer. He was diagnosed with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he's, I said, that, that disease, I said, is given a name. I said, they've named it. And I said, hey, if doctors can, can, they got wonderful tools and wonderful medicine. And if they could get it out of you and scrape every piece of it, and you're, then that's wonderful. Wonderful. God heals in more ways than one. God heals by medicine. He heals by doctors. And I said, you know, I said, but I said, but let me just tell you uh, that that life that's living on your life, that's a that's a life. That's a spirit. In Mark 9, when Jesus spoke to the deaf and dumb man, he didn't say thou deaf disease come out of the man or thou sudden deafness or whatever. Jesus said thou deaf spirit come out of the man. And don't enter him again. And I said, what was he doing? He was speaking to the life that's in that cancer that's living off of your life. That set up a life of its own. That's a spirit. Mary began to say, I, she said, I've never, I've, she said, I've never heard that before. But that's exactly what the Bible said. And I said, that's right. I said, that life, I said, now listen. I said, you know, and I, and I just begin to pray with him. I begin to talk to him. And I said, you know, those doctors have a tool bag and they've got tools all inside of there and things they could look at. I said, today, I don't have that. 
I said, but I do have a bag full of promises. And I said, I got promises that are still just as real today as the day Jesus spoke them out of his lips. I said, those same words that he spoke can come to your life. What was it those words can transfer off of the page into your body and heal you of that disease? Mary said, I've always believed in the supernatural. And and you could just tell that the atmosphere was starting to change. I said, in fact, there was a little sister, I said, in a church in Louisiana. I said, she was diagnosed with the very same disease that you had. Stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. I said, the same exact thing. I began to tell her. I began to tell about Sister Elena. I began to tell her testimony. Let me just tell you, Sister Elena, that testimony has shook the devil's kingdom around the entire world. What God did for you wasn't just for you. It was for the body around the world. It is shaking the devil's kingdom. What was it? A faith that left a testimony of a sister in Louisiana got upon somebody in South Carolina. And that same promise came upon that little, that room. I began to testify and I hope it's okay. I asked if it would be okay and they gave me permission. So I hope that's okay. But I just begin to testify of this. I said, this one, I said, this little sister, I said, she was diagnosed with the same exact thing you were. I pulled up even just recently before I was preaching a sermon. I'd never read it before. My wife is friends uh, with Sister Lane on Facebook and I had read something and I just wanted to pull it up and I, I just begin to read it. And I begin to read how that two days before, a week before Christmas, she was diagnosed with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And two days after Christmas, she started the first of 12, 12 chemo treatments and they told me after four treatments, they would do a PET scan to see how my body's responding. I believe God is a healer. I've told that to anyone who asked how I'm doing. I told them I was looking to him and believed that he would heal me. On Sunday, I leaped and danced before the Lord with joy and victory because I knew it was already a finished work, even though I didn't know how or when, even though there was no proof yet. You say, Brother Matt, does it matter? Listen to me, friends. Sometimes what you do naturally has a supernatural consequence. Sometimes what you think is just physical, you're just doing it, has a supernatural reaction. Sometimes what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Sometimes what you speak on earth, what you loose will be loosed in heaven. Sometimes it takes a natural thing to move something in the supernatural. Why did Banks Woods with Brother Branham throw up a rock in the air and it started a little change? What was it doing? It changed the atmosphere. And that little disturbance was a tornado that landed on Alaska and nearly sunk it. Why did Hattie Wright, come on somebody, why did Hattie Wright have to open her mouth, not just think it in her mind, but she opened her mouth and said, that's nothing but the truth, Brother Branham. Amen. I believe it, Brother Branham. That's nothing but the truth. What was she doing? Naaman had to dip. Why, why did he have to go one time, two time, three? Why did Jesus spit on the ground? And he rubbed a little mud together and wiped it on a man's. Why? Because the natural is connected to the spiritual. And what you do naturally when you say amen to the word of God, you're disturbing the atmosphere around you. You're speaking to that devil. You're speaking to that depression. You're speaking to that life. I say, do something natural, and it'll have a supernatural consequence. Why did Sister Elena get up and run around the church? She was doing something naturally, and it moved heaven supernaturally. 
I say, God, don't let me hinder me. Don't let nothing hinder my praise. Don't let nothing hinder my voice. I'm going to speak against the doubt. I'm going to speak against the devil. I'm going to speak against the destruction in my life. I'm going to speak against the the deliverance that I need. I'm going to speak it in the name. She did something naturally and all of heaven moved. You think it's important for you to use your voice? Sometimes your voice may be quiet and I don't care how small it starts. I don't care how little it is. Footsteps mean possession. Testified. And I said, she, here, here she was. What I dread, but this is, this is what she writes in her testimony. On Sunday, I leaped and danced before the Lord with joy and victory because I knew it was already finished work. They were singing, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I was preaching at a church in Flagstaff just here recently, and I'd never read this before, but the Holy Spirit dropped in that office and said, read this testimony. I'd never even read it. I pulled it off of there. I pasted it in my notes, and I began to read it. Never read it. I've got to read what I'm going to say. I want to read the testimony. And as I'm there, song services going on. As I read these words a week before, two weeks before Christmas, and I'm going through it, and I come to the part, not even realizing they had started a song. And as I read these words, Sister Elena, what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning, I hear it. As my words, as those words were in sync with the song leaders, I read that. Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessedness with my Lord so dear. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What does it do? It disturbs the atmosphere. What does worship do? What does music do? What does singing do? It lifts you up out of this natural. As Brother Random was told by the angel of the Lord, if you can get the people to believe you, nothing will stand in your way, not even cancer. What was it? Brother Brandon was here, but the people were here. So why did he preach? Why did he testify? He was trying to get the people to lift where he was, and all things are possible. And all things are possible to those that believe. That's why we preach the word of God. We're casting out the devil. We're rebuking the spirit of fear. We're rebuking the spirit of anxiety. We're rebuking the spirit of failure. We're preaching victory. We're preaching hope. We're preaching deliverance. We're preaching salvation. And you've got to reach out and take a hold of it. It's at hand. Reach out and grab it. Say, Lord, I need faith this morning. I need my wayward loved ones saved. I'm going to reach out. What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. That that service I preached felt the angel of the Lord. Spirit of God so strong. A sister who had been battling arthritis in her hands since she had a baby. Hands all crippled up, hurting her everywhere. Came through that prayer line that day. The angel of the Lord supernaturally touched that sister. She wrote me after. She said, I've never battled it again. All the pains left my hand. All the pains left my body. The doctor said I'd battle it forever. Why? Because God has sent an anointing of faith upon the heart of a sister. And it transferred from the Bible. I begin to just tell them this testimony. 
She says, David danced. Miriam, Miriam, sounds strange to many, but in the Bible, Miriam danced with joy when she crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptians enslaved, who had enslaved them were drowned. David danced for joy when he saw the Ark of the Covenant brought back to Jerusalem. It's an expression of extreme joy and victory. I know my healing would come sooner or later because that Jesus, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, the great healer is the same Jesus I've served for 27 years. I love this so much. She, this is what she wrote. I'm sure you've read it. Declare war on the devil. Declare war on the devil. No retreat. Oh, I just want to say this and preach it to you. I want that to become a fresh anointing for, the, your, for your family and your children. You got unsaved loved ones? Declare war on the kingdom of darkness in your life. You need healing this morning? Declare war on the devil. No retreat. Lay hold on to his promises. She says, yesterday I had my PET scan of the day. I met with a doctor for my fifth treatment. He informed me the cancer is already gone. I had a seven centimeter tumor in my lung and multiple lymph nodes that were affected in the picture. You'll see the before and after. I know you've seen this before. The second is totally clear. He said, this is dramatic. I don't want you to forget what God did. Because the same God, the same promise is still just as real right now. He's just as real right now. I begin to testify. I showed that sister. I showed Mary that PET scan. You could see her. She looked and almost took a breath away. She shows me Marcus. Here's Marcus. And he's sitting there in his living room. Tumor about the size of a grapefruit on his neck given up to die. Miss began to testify to him. And I said, his wife began to look at that picture. Tears began to well up. And I said, now Marcus, the same God who touched that sister is no respecter of persons. And that same God is still here. He's in this living room right now and he could touch your body. A body that was so full of cancer, you can see it in his PET scan. Went from down normally in this kind of PET scan he had done. You could actually see the blackness of the heart and the lungs and the kidney. You can't see any of that there. It's just cancer everywhere. Started on his neck. Had tumors the size of apples down on his, on his legs going all the way down. His calf muscles just all messed up everywhere. You know what had happened? This man was told he was going to die, and he accepted that death sentence. He had completely given up. You know, it's easier to have faith for somebody than it is to have faith for yourself sometimes. And he had completely given up on himself, completely to the point to where he had resigned himself to the fact that he was going to die. You know, sometimes it's harder when God puts you through something and Satan's attacking your family and your home. It's much easier to believe for somebody else than it is for you. But you know what happened? You know what happened in the Bible? Jesus was, was in a building and he was surrounded by multitudes. And there was a man who was lame, couldn't get to Jesus. He was in a bed, couldn't walk. He was, he, he was lame in that bed, but you know what happened? His friends go over to him and they pick up the bed that he was in and they carried him to Jesus. Because that man maybe couldn't have faith for himself, but there was somebody who could have faith and stand in the gap for him. And the Bible says when they got to Jesus, they couldn't get to him. He's surrounded by crowds of people. He's in a little hut and no one could get to him. But you know what? They didn't stop there. They wasn't going to let any circumstance get in their way. They climbed up on the roof of that house and they ripped the roof off and they lowered that man down to Jesus. Hallelujah. 
And Jesus said, by your faith, this man is made well. Maybe they're not here today. I tell you in the name of the Lord, lower them down to Jesus. Say, God, I'm ripping the roof off. I'm climbing up on the roof, God. Touch their body, touch their mind. Kill that cancer. Deliver them from sin, Lord. It won't be according to their faith. It's according to your faith in the name of Jesus. This man had completely given up. I began to pray. We just stopped us and Marcus, we're going to pray. We laid our hands upon him. I'll never forget that prayer. I said, Lord, just as Hezekiah was given a death sentence, but he prays and he consults you and the prophet comes and says that the Lord's granted more years to his life. I said, Lord, just as this doctor's given this man a death sentence, would you add years to his life? We begin to pray. You can feel the supernatural move in that room, that living room. We left that living room, went back that day just feeling that we had done what we were supposed to do. We left, took our burdens to the Lord and we left them there. Amen. And sometimes that's all you need to do. Quit thinking you got to work something up or build something up. Take your burdens to the Lord. Leave it there. Maybe two months, three months later, I didn't hear from him, didn't know anything about it, had not forgotten about it, but certainly didn't know what his mind, they had given up on him. He told him he just had a few months to live. Travis just so happens to be sitting in my living room. And he's there, we're just talking and just talking in a way, not talking about Marcus or anything and just talking. All of a sudden, Travis gets a text and he's in the middle of something. He just stops and he looks up. He says, Brother Matt, he says, this is Mary, Marcus's wife. And he reads the text, praise the living God. Marcus has been supernaturally healed of stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's 100% cancer. Oh, you ought to rejoice. You ought to praise him. Hallelujah. He's 100% cancer free because my God's greater than any circumstance. He's greater than any problem. He's greater than anything the devil puts in your life. He's greater than the trouble. He's greater than sin. He's greater than addiction. He's greater than cancer. He's greater than depression. He's greater than anything. The same God sends a supernatural anointing upon your life. That man is 100% cancer free. Hallelujah. I say let that testimony shake the devil's kingdom. Let it shatter the doors of the enemy. Let it break the prison bars. Oh, hallelujah. I say house of hell, give way in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. House of hell. I speak to you today, Satan. Let the word of God come upon your lips. Oh, give him praise. Lord, you're worthy. You're worthy of all our praise, Lord Jesus. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the same God who heals. He's still the same God who saves. He's still the same God who delivers. 
He can deliver you from the uttermost. He can deliver you from the darkest dungeon. I don't care if you're here today or streaming online. God can come right in that room, right now by the, by the presence of God, and change your circumstance. He's here. The healer's here. He's passing by just at this moment. I wonder if the musicians would come. He's passing by just at this moment right now. Whatever you have need of, you just reach out by faith and grab a hold of it. And say, Lord, I'm going to grab, I'm going to reach out in faith. I'm going to take that promise from the word of God. It's going to transfer from off of the words of Jesus onto a page of the Bible into my eyes and down into my body. I accept it today. Oh, how many need a promise here? And you say, I accept it. I'm pulling that from the pages of the Bible. And I take it into my body. I take it into my mind. I say, release the power of God on my family, in my children, in my health, in my body, whatever you have need of. Sister Hattie. Whatever you have need of, Sister Hattie. You speak the word of God. I say, speak to that mountain. Speak to that circumstance. 100% cancer free. You can't have my family. Yes, that's right. You tell it to him, sister. You speak speak to that devil. That's what God wants you to do. He wants you to use your voice. Don't let him get him to close up your mouth. Open your mouth. Say, Satan, I defy you. Take your hands off of God's property. You're a liar, Satan. You've been defeated and you've been exposed in my life. Oh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Speak to that problem this morning. Say, I accept it for my family. I accept it for my home, Lord. I believe it, Lord. I'm going to stand upon it. I'm going to take God at his word. And as the Holy Spirit said, I'm not going to give up on my promise. Why don't you let the devil know that today and say, Satan, I am not going to give up on my promise. God's going to perform it exactly the way he said he would. God's going to perform it just the way he showed me he would because he's a supernatural God and he's moving by a supernatural presence reach out touch as as is you will find This moment, your needs to supply, reach out. Could you do it? Could you do that this morning? Could you reach out and touch it? Oh, reach out. Oh, reach out and touch the Lord as He passes by. You will find that he's not oh just to hear to hear your heart's cry. He 
person beside you, maybe put your hand over on them. The Lord Jesus is here. And He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God on the mouth of a believer has never failed. I wonder if you could speak to that problem. I wonder if you could this morning speak to that issue, maybe in your own life. I wonder if you'd climb up on the roof this morning for that brother. Climb up on the roof this morning for that sister, maybe miles away. And say, Lord Jesus, I stand here commissioned by God. I'm not backing up. I'm not scared of the enemy. I'm ripping the roof off right now. And I'm lowering that need down to you, Jesus. I believe, God, you're the supernatural God. We just testified about cancer. Nothing will stand in the way of your prayers, not even cancer. That's a promise when all hell turns loose. All heaven turns loose. And there's a body of believers here lifting up their voices, saying, let loose heaven. Turn loose, angel of God. Let healing be released. Let miracles be released. God, I'm anointed. Not by my own spirit, but by a spirit from the promise of God. I'm anointed to tear the devil's kingdom down. I'm anointed to stand in the way and stand in the Jordan. Lord, to cast out sin from people's life. To cast out diseases from people's bodies. That's our anointing. So today, Lord Jesus, we stand upon your promise. And we say, yes, Lord. We say, yes, Lord. Amen, Lord. That's nothing but the truth. I accept it. I believe it. For my home, I expect to accept it. For my children. Maybe they're not here today, but I accept it. Angel of God, would you go and arrest them? Holy Spirit, leave upon the wings of this prayer. Touch that young man. Touch that young sister. Touch that father and that mother who Satan's taken captive and prisoner. Let the light of the gospel shine onto that seat. I pray this morning, oh God. You're still the God of miracles. We believe it, Lord Jesus. Stand upon it. You're still the same yesterday, today. Healing is
Bye. 